0: Legends once told of a podcast lost now in the sea of time. These ancient recordings spoke of games and the arcane art of HTML5. Today, Jeff Blair and Matt Hackett bring these words back to life. It is lost cast, and may your ears receive it.
1: Welcome to Lost Cast, episode 110. I'm Matt. Hey, I'm Jeff. Last week in episode 109, we talked a little bit about logos like the LDG logo, um, but primarily monetization and how to make money with games. And there's some really great feedback on our forum. Thank you very much to our wonderful users for the awesome conversation there. Um, today, ooh, this is a big day, uh, we have a guest on the show, which we have not done since April 8th. So uh, that's 2014. That's just shy of a whole year, um, and the last one was uh, Patrick Klug of Greenheart Games and LostCast69, and today's episode is a first in LostCast history. This is a, uh, a guest we've had on the show before, so I'm um, really interested to see how uh, things have changed in times, uh time went by, and uh, <laughs> this interview was episode 9, get that, crazy, 2012, and it was actually uh, three years ago this month in February. Um, Anywho, without further delay, we're really pleased to welcome back to the show, Rich Davey, aka Photon Storm. Rich, thank you for being here.
0: Hey, thank you very much, guys. Obviously, it wasn't too bad three years ago if you got me back. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, it's uh, consistently one of of the favorite uh, episodes, especially among the interviews. Um, I actually listened to that episode last night because I kind of wanted to get a refresher and a feel for uh, what we already talked about so we don't cover too much redundant information as... (laughs) As we tend to do on this show. Um, But let's give a quick refresher and uh, feel free to correct me. But um, you, sir, uh, and I highly recommend to our listeners to go and check out that other episode. um, You know, kind of get a feel for all that stuff. But you are a veteran game developer, been making games for a long time. Um, You started off with, uh, I don't know where you started exactly, but uh, Flash was kind of where you found your stride, it sounds like. And for quite a while, you were um, managing and developing at a film and TV company. Um, in the uk and uh when we were talking three years ago you were just kind of getting ramped up in html5 like you were already making games with it but you know you hadn't even settled on a game engine yet and that was uh interesting to talk about but these days yeah you're you might be best known for uh, your incredible game engine uh phaser.io so that's where we're at now is you hadn't even started on that yet um does that sound about right for
0: where we were at the last podcast well, yeah, it was it was like a different world, wasn't it? It's like everything oh, was yeah. <laughs> everything was so new <laughs> back then, and, and so much stuff didn't work. <laughs> and uh, to be honest, it's kinda, You know, the the sheer velocity of the rate of change is just incredible at the moment, and and has been persisting that way for the last three years, which is a challenge in its own right for kind of both of us, I guess. Um, yeah, but, but yeah, absolutely. I think that. Uh,
2: I'll say last i think last time we talked that uh, matt and i were actually working kind of day jobs in the game dev industry as well and we oh, were doing true. lost cast on the side
0: and look yeah at it, we at not even steam, depending steam, yet you're steam kings now <laughs> oh <laughs> <laughs> i don't know about kings maybe like uh squires I, i'm gonna go with Peasants. <laughs> 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 <The> pet chicken <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but it must feel great there to actually finally like you know have done it to have achieved that that's quite a major milestone on anyone's list uh thanks for saying that i I feel
1: numb to it you know it doesn't feel real and i like there's so much dissatisfaction still left over that it doesn't even feel like because you know i remember back in the day it was like oh if we could just get a game on steam then we'll feel like we've made it and like i don't feel like i've made it (laughs) i still feel like i've got a mountain of work to do (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> ah, it's just a- but anywho, um,
1: you were you were working full time at the time, I believe, as well. And then you have since um, did the same thing. Like you went and now Photon Storm. And I think like shortly after the podcast, uh, you went into Photon Storm full time. And so you've been doing that. Is that about right? About three years now?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I was literally, as you said, I was working for a a company here in the UK, a great bunch of people. But it was, you know, just just like with you guys, it was time to move on and to. Do my own thing, basically. Uh, so yeah, right. so I took Photonstone full time. Um, it was, I think, probably about a month, two months after I spoke to you, um, and and I haven't really looked back. So it's been a, a quite a, well, hell of a ride, to be honest. It's been a, a real <laughs> mixture of, um, you know, direct client-based work, just like you know, work for hire kind of stuff, along with building Phaser and everything that that entailed. Um, because it's and and to be honest, it's now. Now I'm kind of at the end of sort of that. It feels like the end of a sort of a transition of being focused specifically on client stuff and now almost completely like pivoting around and doing, wanting to do nothing but Phaser. So it's all, now it's all about getting into the position where I can do that full time. So that's the current plan.
1: Oh, that's great. And I bet that's uh, what you really want to be doing, it sounds like, is spending as much of your time uh, on Phaser and your own projects as you can.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's just, it's, yeah, it's been—I don't know—I I would nothing prepared me for what would happen with it. <laughs> it really didn't. Um, I mean, yeah. I, I know we were kind of quite sort of. There wasn't a great deal of choice, um, you know, back then as to what sort of framework you used for hmo 5 games, because no, not very, very few people were actually doing it. You could probably count them on one hand, really, couldn't you? Um, but yeah, <laughs> but but that just so i i just kind of so you know we had the benefit i guess of releasing relatively early um in the sense of uh, you know capturing sort of like early adopters as it were but then i think it's probably more just the fact that we've just worked at it and worked at it and worked at it and worked at it and you know thousands and thousands of updates and hundreds of releases later and and i think that's what people look at the most they they look at it and they think yeah okay fine it might be a bit rough around some edges but you know this is an active alive project and and you know we do our hardest to keep it that way
1: yeah and that's really important for uh, you know when you're looking at a platform you want to make sure it's alive
2: and uh, still thriving right yeah uh, one thing i read uh, in in some article about you know rewriting code was that if your code is a little rough around the edges it's probably because it's robust and it accounts for all kinds of different edge cases so not <laughs> necessarily a bad yeah. thing
0: i'm i'm going to put that as a disclaimer in the readme uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not a bug. the rough it's
1: parts just... are good <laughs> that's right you want the rough parts um so if you can rich uh see if you can give us like uh like what you've been like what your path has been since like for the last three years like so right around the point where you first were building up towards launching phaser and then also the transition uh, of going full-time and like if that was scary or, or whatnot and then uh just like how your last three years have been if you can just like walk us back up to uh you know present day
0: Yeah. Sure. absolutely yeah maybe I- Probably best if I sort of start in the uh, with the, the last bit you mentioned. So basically, because I think anyone out there who might be considering kind of going freelance or or setting up their own sort of small agency, it's uh, the process of running their own company. I mean, that's effectively you know I guess what both of us have been through, isn't it? So um, I'm going to start there because it's a it's a phenomenally scary thing, isn't it? I mean, you sat there, you've you've been there, like collecting a paycheck each month and thinking, yeah, you know, I've got my bills covered and whatever, and. Am I just gonna completely throw that away? Um and Oh it's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's beyond terrifying. <laughs> so so yeah, I, I, I it was it was it was quite a big decision. And I think the, the biggest thing that made me realise, no, actually I can do this, is that it's to do with it's to do with the people you know, isn't it? It's to do with like having some actual proper real tangible clients before you make that jump. Um Yeah not thinking, like, okay, well, I've got some savings put away, I'll be alright for a few months, so let's go and find some clients, I think you need them before you even do that, um, so so yeah, if, if anyone's cons- out there considering doing it, becoming freelance, and I do get quite a lot of emails from people saying, like, you know, I want to make games full-time, I'm fed up working in XYZ, um, what should I do, And and that's always always my first and probably hardest answer is you know you need some clients you need to and if you haven't got any you need to get out there get into your local dev community make yourself really known start doing some freelancing stuff on the side for maybe you know agencies that are open for that and Get a feel for what it's like, um, because it's it's very easy to be sat there in a company doing it, where all the worry of getting work is left to maybe some other departments or other people. But when you're doing it yourself, it can take up a lot of time. Um, so, so yeah, that's that's got to be my probably my first one. And I think you guys, you probably slightly got a different angle, haven't you? Because I guess when you started up, you were um, you wanted to focus on making games rather than focus on finding clients and doing client work like I was doing. So. I guess you probably got different
2: but we, advice for that. A little bit, but it kind of, we kind of went along the same route that you did, um, but just kind of not intentionally because we were developing these HTML games on the side and publishing them for free. Um, like we had Onslaught Arena and stuff. And so yeah. we had no intention really of attracting interest uh, with that necessarily. But around the time that we were going to go independent, we started getting inbound interest from people saying like, oh, we want to license this game or we need... You know someone to convert these flash games to html5 and there was a lot a lot of interest in html5 at that point in time and that was really the catalyst for us to go independent because we saw like all this opportunity we didn't actually have any clients when we (laughs) uh when we made the jump but we had a lot of interest and, and people that we knew and could you know. we,
1: we were near money though. You know yeah. what I
2: mean? We had lots of business
1: contacts and there was already some like, you know, whispers of contracts on the tables. And yeah. I think it was within the first week of when we actually worked our final day of, you know, having paychecks, uh, we actually did get a firm offer on the table. And so there's a big difference, I think, between like, I I don't know, how do you even get clients versus I'm very close to having clients, you know, like it's it's a big process.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and then some. Uh, you know, understanding partners kind of help as well. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. But I mean, I guess that I think that was probably the the biggest biggest jump for me. But I I could see it. You know, back then it was completely evident. I mean, regardless of what you think of all of the you know the all over like Adobe and Flash and the Steve Jobs love letter and oh I don't know all of that complete mess <laughs> that went on. Um, you know, absolutely. Regardless of that, I think. The, you could see it. You could see the change that was happening. Um, you could see, kind of like, oh my god, you know, Google seriously are ramping up the, what Chrome can do, and, and Apple really are actually finally concerned about what Safari performance. And you know, it, it, was, it was it was kind of like it was obvious what was happening. Um, and so I just thought, right, no, I, I need to be part of this. I can't I can't sit back and just wait for it to happen. I, I need to be involved in it because for me it was really kind of a because I you know I did web development for years and years before I. You know, focused on doing flash games, so it was kind of almost like going home in a way. Um, Yeah, and it it just felt nice. I just I like the fact that you know, oh yeah, you know, my compilation button is pressing F five. I quite like that. That's (laughs) that's a really nice feeling. It was you know, power back again. Um,
2: Yeah, it's very easy. So So when you were doing the flash stuff, was it kind of the same scenario? Did you kind of get in on the ground floor of the flash revolution, or?
0: No, no I was work? quite late. I, if I was very late, Flash, to be honest, I I probably only joined when they had only just released um, Script three. So there've been, through, you know, two huge iterations of the language and all the IDE and everything before it. So, so I was actually really quite late to it. Um, which, you know, it, it, it didn't. I don't feel sort of, I don't mind that fact. I, I don't mind having not been in at the ground floor, but because. You have uh, when you're coming into something that far down the line. You you have the benefit of lots of experience vet deve- developers and blog posts and books, and um, it, you know it makes things actually yeah. makes life a lot easier for you. Because um, you know back sort of three years ago, the number of books on HTML five games were probably zero. Um, and so <laughs> yeah. now they're you know they, they fall out of a tree if you shake it. But you know back then it was uh, <laughs> it was very difficult. So so I, I think it depends what kind of challenge you like. I know a lot of developers that they they need to just you know they need to do their work they need to build stuff they don't need to worry about oh my god how do i do this specifically you know they they're not that worried about the tech and the evolution of the technology they're more concerned about building something and you know that's completely understandable i i you know fully admire devs that like that but i kind of fall the other side whereas actually it's it's the technology and the frameworks that interest me more than the end product um, mm. Which probably yeah. is how, every, you know, that's definitely how Phaser came about, to be honest. Yeah. yeah,
1: I think it's pretty great that you made your start in Flash, especially at a time where it was beginning to pick up maturity, and, you know, like uh, you said, you weren't along uh, among the front runners, uh, you know, the people starting that out. <coughs> because that would, I think, encourage people who are getting into HTML5 games now, because it probably feels about that way. You know, like, three to four years ago, around the last time we talked, was around that, like, even earlier, actually, it was around that point where you needed to be you know, riding that wave, if you were going to have like a game that was so simple that the most notable thing about it was the tech. Like, we're, we're way past that now. But, you know, you had your start in a, almost a similar situation to where we're currently at with HTML5 games. So, like, it just shows that there's still room in this ecosystem for, you know, great new developers to come in and make games.
0: Yeah, no, that, that's an absolutely perfect point because back then it was just like they, they evaluated it based on the fact that it was a game and how good the game was. Um, right. Not what it, that it was written in Flash. That nobody cared less. That was almost taken for granted. <laughs> um, and, and today, you're absolutely right. You know, it used to be that, quite frankly, you could probably sell a license for a Pong game to a games portal or HTML5. <laughs> but these days, no. They they. And and, and if this has been. You know, this is being reflected in the state of like the licensing portals as well. Um, Booster Media recently put out like a newsletter saying that. They are now changing their. They basically they what they're effectively saying is that you know we used to buy anything, uh, but now we're focusing <laughs> on high quality games. We want highly polished games, and we'll prioritize those. Uh, you know, and the amount of money they generate over all else. Um, to the point where you know they they have their own internal games development team that. Create these high-quality games, and and they really are beautiful now. Some of the uh, their new games like uh, Jewel Academy, for example, are just stunning. They're just you know they're just lovely. Yeah. Um, so and it's just great to have seen it come like that. So
2: definitely. So as a company like Booster, are they using Phaser internally, or do they have their own thing?
0: Uh, they, yeah, they do actually use Phaser for uh, yeah for internally. And
2: very cool. Yes. <laughs> Oh well, it sounds like your uh,
1: your transition from you know a full time job to the uh, the, the full time uh, independent thing uh, was really smooth for you because you had your clients uh, currently going. So w- was it was it pretty smooth and like were you able to just hit the ground running and, and start working on Photon Storm uh, full time without missing a stride? Or was there any other things you know besides just the fear uh, that you had to deal with?
0: I, I would say that there, um, the, in terms of getting up to speed and getting running. Um, That was fine. That that was because, you know, I had projects lined up. I had work lined up. I I knew exactly what I was heading into. Um, It was, but there, but it was kind of a a double edged sword in a sense because um, I I made the the, like the classic mistake that probably a lot of small companies do is that that you take on too much, you take on too many projects. Um, And so as a result, I basically, you know, there was, you know, probably about a year or so ago, I um, completely failed to deliver a couple of projects to, you know, clients that should have got a better service quite frankly but because i basically just had so much on and even working you know so many 20 hour days a week it it just you still can't get through it because it just kind of bogs you down so so yeah i, I would absolutely say that be wary of the flip side of uh, saying yes to projects as well because it's very tempting yeah. isn't it to sort of say okay oh yeah I can probably fit that one in on the side but then a couple of issues or feature requests in the first one overrun with the second one and and, and you know and it takes time to communicate things with clients and it takes time to push builds and it's just like yeah yeah be very careful about doing the uh, the opposite right. as well. It always yeah.
2: takes way longer than you think. That's just the number one rule of software development, games or otherwise. Absolutely, yeah.
0: And and I think when when you're running it as a business, it's like it, you know we're traditionally bad at estimating how long it would take to develop something, but then factor in all of the admin and business stuff related around it. So communicating your changes to the clients, dealing with contracts, dealing with paperwork, accounts, all that kind of stuff. I mean, that just you know is probably equal to the amount of development work you can do in the early days. Um,
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We found when we were doing the licensed stuff that, you know, you'd be integrating the APIs and there'd be bugs and you'd have to go back and forth. And then getting paid was always <laughs> difficult.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. I, I think there
1: was only one where someone reached out and was like, I want this game. And we were like, here you go. And they were like, here's your money. <laughs> I think that happened one time because I remember that that happening just that one time. You you know, the every co- other the one is like shock
0: of it was ingrained <laughs> on great <yes. your> memory. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, like what just happened? <laughs> I can't believe it. Like if that was the norm, it would have been like, yeah, html five licenses are great. Come on in, you can you can move them real fast. It's uh, it's smooth, but no, no, it, you have to fight for like every every dollar. Sometimes it really feels like
0: yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. and it, it, I think that's just uh, indicative of the. You know, the, the whole process of licensing games, actually, that's nothing specific to HTML 5 It it was like that with Flash True, yeah. as well, and, um, you know, I'm sure that it's like that with quite a lot of other platforms and services. Um, but but yeah, 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 I completely understand. It was a <laughs> it's <laughs> the rare moments, but, uh, you know, to be savored, I guess.
1: So, yeah, it, it sounds like you, uh, when you first went full-time on Photon Storm, you had both Phaser and the, was it contracts and licenses going on at the same time?
0: Yeah, so it was kind of split between three different things. So uh, there was um, direct client work, so basically, you know, um, on a contract basis. Um, Then there was our own games that we were making um, and licensing out to games portals. Um, And then there was, like, framework development as well. So so basically we were kind of, like, split between those three things. And And I guess, you know, the amount of time spent on each one would sort of vary based on, you know, what was going on, what deadlines were coming up. Um, Yeah, but effectively it was split between those three things. And I would say that over the years now that's transitioned, so probably for the, you know, I I basically we, I don't license games anymore, I don't, um, I I honestly just don't have time for it. Um, And also I, I tend to now make lots and lots of Tiny, small, little games, um, little so things I can use um, to kind of help boost the Phaser ecosystem. So things I can easily turn into tutorials or examples or blog posts. Um, So the only games that I kind of make, I think personally for me, um, that are nothing to do with any of this, are just things where like myself and Ilya, who's the guy that does all our graphics work. is where we basically find a game jam that we really like the sound of so uh, we did like the low res game jam last year which is to create a game running in a 32 by 32 pixel square um, because the challenge was just like yeah that's just too good to pass up (laughs) Um, that that kind of like Tweaked a whole load of uh, you know creative knobs, as it were. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I
2: love that idea, and uh, your entry was amazing. I thought you did, you guys did a great job.
0: <laughs> Thanks. It was uh, yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> it was it was kind of like we'd like yeah, let's do this. Let's make a complete dungeon romp in a uh, postage stamp size game window, and and it kind of panned out right, really. Um, and and it was intri- interestingly enough, it kind of. Quite a lot of things were added into Phaser because of it, um, and I, I have found that I have found that lots and lots of fixes, um, especially really device-specific stuff, and lots of enhancements have been made because use, we're using it—you know, hour after hour, day after day—on client work and on tutorials and things. So uh, th- that's the the biggest main reason, beyond all, for the the fact it's so rapidly updated and continues to be. Nice.
2: We kind of had a similar scenario, uh, except for we weren't developing our engine open source, so we had a lot fewer people helping us fix the bugs, but we kind of <laughs> did the same thing where, you know, we would license uh, the games we made and then iterate on the engine and fix bugs and fold those back into the next games and things like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it, and it's, it's kind of natural, isn't it? It's like natural progression, but I guess the the sort of, you know, the intensity of having kind of like the BBC breathing down your neck saying, like, why doesn't this render on a Galaxy Tab S? Uh, and it's just like, because oh, they're complete shit. I don't know. Um, you know, it's, <laughs> it's basically that it's, it's a real motivator to get things in there and fixed in there, and, you know, um, which, which is really good. So uh, I'm, I'm glad right. for the, the impact that's had on it.
2: Yeah. I think that. Uh... Well, some advice I would give to people that are looking to do licensing now is to really understand the platform requirements for licensing before you go into signing a deal, uh, because that essentially can be the bulk of the work. Right, is trying to make the games work on some obscure device that you don't have or, <laughs> yeah, you know can't, you know doesn't have the right feature set or something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's true.
0: Yeah, uh, whether it's yeah, I mean whether you're licensing work or or doing client work, the the first question to always ask them is you know what do you want this to run on, um, because it completely changes how you approach what you're going to build. Um, if they come back and say you know I, I want a match three game but it has to run on like a, an iPhone um, or a you know relatively small mobile screen, then it that changes everything. Um, and if they say, no, I don't, it's actually, I only need it to run on desktop browsers. It's just, uh, you know, it's going to sit on our website. Then that changes everything. So um, Much easier. <laughs> yes. Because um, I think that's, sorry, I was going to say, that's, I think that's one thing that has changed now is that we're being asked a lot. And I'm seeing other companies being asked to build games that, in five because that's what they want them built in, not because they necessarily have to be cross-platform. And I think that's actually quite an important change
1: yeah interesting uh, have you uh, seen that you've had to spend a lot of time on the multi-platform support and like have you has it resulted in you having a bunch of devices at your disposal or is that less of a problem for you these days
0: uh, no it's it's always a problem uh, it's still an ongoing problem I, I would say that um, it, it's kind of it. It's, again it's very dependent on, on what it is that you're building um, so we, we did a, an app recently that had needed support for webcam in it basically so instantly we were kind of like you're limited aren't you because there's certain browsers that can't handle it ios does it a slightly different way through um, android can handle it on chrome but not on stock browser so you start having to build in all these kind of things to to you know gracefully deal with you know just a browser that doesn't support something as basic as a webcam Um, so so yeah i would say that device disparity is still it's probably less of an issue in rendering, although not completely. it's but they're by no means um, you know all uniform yet. but in terms of um, exposed APIs yeah, they're, they're still quite different.
1: So uh, how is your your tech stack these days? like has it changed from uh, three years ago before you'd really settled into an engine? and have you done anything like I, I know just from interacting with you um like on various forums or whatnot that uh, you're very much a Windows guy. You actually gave us uh, some really great. Um, suggestions on software and for streamlining your Windows environment, and uh, I always like to ask um, developers, especially developers who are as productive as you are, um, you know, questions about uh, developer environment and uh, and how you work, basically. Like, what's your proce- what your process is?
0: Okay, sure. Um, I do uh, basically. I uh, use Sublime for all of my code editing. I just. I just love it, um I think that there are you know there's an amazing choice of editors out there now, but it's one of those things where you know you kind of like this feels like a pair of comfortable slippers. I just know my way around yeah. it. It's got so <laughs> many packages and plugins that I just couldn't think of using anything else now. Um, so if I use that, but then I guess kind of like on a in terms of workflow, I use either Gulp or grunt for handling everything that I possibly can. Um, in terms of you know minification and JS hinting and even deployment in some cases, so so that's something that I absolutely didn't do. Um. You know, when I very first started out, probably because those well, Gulp didn't even exist, and Grunt was in his I'm <laughs> pretty sure I don't think even that existed actually, to be honest. Right. Um, so, so yeah, my my in terms of that, that's definitely changed, um, which is nice. Um, and I and just keeping an eye on what's going on at the moment in terms of kind of like ES six and the the advances there are just phenomenal. So I I have no doubt that that's going to vastly impact um, the way in which I build stuff on a code basis by the end of the year. Um, in terms of tools, though, I'm probably still quite similar to what it was. So I still kind of um, texture packer to build up my atlases and um, Git for source control. Um, I use Beyond Compare 4, which is an awesome app for kind of like comparing, doing diffs basically between like binary mm. um, files and folder structures, which is actually I, I which is really handy when kind of like merging in other packages or other libraries into an existing app. Um, and then there are other tools like um, I, I still kind of like I like Tiled for doing tile map stuff and um, I'm still a bit of a kind of a I, yeah, I, I still like a Photoshop unfortunately for all its quirks because, <laughs> you know, basically handling all the graphics um, Yeah, that's great So, yeah, my my work is actually pretty pretty basic because beyond kind of what you can do with kind of, a, you know, grunt scripts and plugins and stuff and beyond a few core applications, it's Everything is basically done in you know I just kind of like have Chrome permanently open and I, most things are just it's it's just done in there really it's just quite intriguing so I, I would say it's actually my my tech stack is actually quite tiny really um, the only thing I have got now which I probably didn't used to do is I use Genymotion which is like a uh, an Android emulator that runs really nicely on Windows but it, it just runs really fast it's much faster than like Google's official one so you can actually test how well a game will respond by using it, which is really nice.
2: Uh, oh, next... interesting. I remember the last time I looked into the Android emulator, it was just unusably slow. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. They're, they're fine if you want to preview a web page and anything else, just yeah, forget it, basically. But but this is actually renders nice and quickly, and you can record directly to video and take snapshots straight from it. Um, and you can kind of hook it up so you can actually have an Android device um, in your hand that's doing kind of like, you know, accelerometer stuff or whatever, but being, you know, streamed to the actual app running on Windows, so, so yeah, so that that's definitely got a lot easier. Um, but I still, I mean, I I do have a Mac as well, which I need to use for debugging Safari, because obviously they don't let you do that from Windows. Um, so, <laughs> thanks Apple. Um, yes. <laughs> I mean, you know They're, only, nice. they're only worth seven hundred billion dollars, aren't they? They can't uh, allow that. Um, <laughs> they can't be bothered. No, exactly. That's right. <laughs> um, so yeah, but you're you're right. I, I think I am still kind of on Windows I just I like it I've got all my like emulators and I'm quite a big gamer so <laughs> it's it's good for me
1: nice yeah Windows is definitely the best for uh, for gaming just just a bigger library available um yeah. so who all works on uh photon storm right now it's because it's not just you
0: yes absolutely so there's yeah so the company is owned by myself and my wife who thankfully basically does a lot of um sort of the admin stuff like dealing with contracts and dealing with kind of like Client-based stuff, um, which is really nice, and helping. Um, to, at the moment, she's actually she's helping to kind of build up the new Phaser website, so that's quite handy as well. Um, so yeah, that's so there's, uh, the two of us, and then we've got a, a couple of developers that, um, and a couple of development teams as well that are brought in uh, on like a sort of like a freelance basis, I guess, um, and uh, a couple of artists as well. So it's it's kind of it's quite a small group in the sense that there's probably uh, probably I guess only about ten or twelve people at any one time sort of all out but i like it like that. that that's all i want i don't i had never ever had any aspirations to become some big digital agency that was that, that was what i left i don't, that's not what i wanted to create yeah. um because then you spend all your time managing and not building um where buildings where the passion is so uh so yeah so yeah, so yeah we you know we're, we're quite small and I'm, hopefully we'll probably you know always stay that way um
1: very cool I see once in a while you'll tweet something like, you know, hey, we're looking for a developer for a small project or it might be just one evening or one job or it might be a bigger one or whatnot. I'm wondering if that's uh, more of what you kind of do where you'll find kind of like ad hoc developers for like per project. Or do you more find uh, like, you know, you did that and you found one or two people you really like and now you just go back to them. Uh, how, what's your situation like there?
0: Um the latter, basically. So, so that's. It's the problem with that is it's very time-consuming, um, and then you never really know what you're going to get until you get it. And sometimes, you know, they'll just basically go dark on you and vanish off the face of the earth, and you're just left hanging, great. thinking, "Oh, great. Um, do I complete this to myself? Do I find another someone?" Else? So, so basically, yeah. So, I, I, I definitely do still look for developers, but um, I, I kind of, I, I don't know. I guess I've got quite kind of. Um, Picky, <laughs> I would say. I, I would absolutely <laughs> look at. Um, it's no longer, you know. I would absolutely need to look at sample code that they've already done, or a game they've already made, or, or if, you know, if they've been actively contributing towards the Phaser um, GitHub repo, for example. That that's like a really major bonus point. And if I see people doing that, then I, I can tell instantly. Yeah, actually, you know, you think the same way I think in terms of coding. Um, so, right. so, yeah, but it, it's I, I definitely do. I, I would say that if there are any developers who are looking for freelance work, and if you're good and reliable, <laughs> drop me a line, because I do have a lot of needs that I can either pass on or would work with you to flesh out. Um, but... but but please only do it if you're serious and you have time to dedicate to it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's actually some advice we gave in the prior episode, uh, Lost Cast 109, talking about monetization and business and stuff is like, you know, one of the big questions we get a lot is how do you actually get uh, the contracts and how do you actually get that work and that kind of thing? And that's really what it is. It's just like, you know, if if there was a developer who was very um, prolific and then, you know, you knew about this person and they're working on Phaser or whatnot, you're, you know, just knowing that person exists, you're a million times more likely if you get, Uh, more work than you want to handle or whatever you can just pass it to them or you can bring them in and uh include them in the project or that kind of stuff so yeah it's just like basically it's like make friends network (laughs) yes yeah be friendly and outgoing yeah
0: absolutely and and it's it's really easy these days i mean i guess if you've well, I mean, if you live in the middle of nowhere, it's a bit harder. But um, you know, around here, I know. I mean, I, I personally actually live in the middle of nowhere. But you know, there are a couple of big cities, um, and they have regular meetups. They have like JavaScript development groups and like code sharing and hack nights and stuff. You know, you really don't have to go far to meet some real people, as well as you know, building up your online profile. So definitely, definitely do it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, So one one thing I like to ask, too, um, whenever someone goes from, like, more of a a corporate position to the kind of, you know, uh, self-employed work-from-home style is, uh, have you noticed that it changes your life at all or, like, your work patterns or just, like, how you interact with, you know, your family and friends and stuff? Because sometimes it it can have a dramatic effect, you know, like, especially if you prior uh, had a job that was very 9 to 5 kind of thing, you know, you might squeeze out work here and there where you can or some other people might have had jobs already that were very... Flexible, so they don't see much of a change, and I'm wondering um, how that transition's been for you.
0: Yeah, no, it, it's it's been really great um, because because you're, I'm here, I, I can see what's going on with the family. I have two kids, um, and my daughter was born. I think she was probably oh, I don't know, I guess about six, seven months old um, when I actually left and became full time, um, like running for on full time and. You know, before I was kind of you know seeing her for maybe I don't know an hour or two a day because of all the commute and travelling and work hours and stuff. But now, you know, I <laughs> I've seen her properly grow up and I, you know, seen her go through nursery and then now she's at school and it's you know it's just it's stuff like that you just don't get to. It's I don't know. It's easy to kind of not see when you're you know busy stuck in an office and it's unfortunate because a lot of people would have no choice about that and I kind of feel for them. But it was a real yeah it was it was really nice it was a really important um reason oh, great. for me as well um so yeah it, it definitely helps i mean it kind of has a flip side as well because obviously they can then just happily walk in and, uh, <laughs> and you know like come and join a tea party but i'm trying to debug this code and it's just like <laughs> 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 so yeah you know it has it has that side and i think i think people that work from home tend to work a lot a lot more hours i know i do I'm, I'm i'm terrible for it i i Absolutely, you can think, oh, whatever, yeah, three in the morning, so what? Um, whereas, at least, you know, when you have to get into an office and you have to be, you know, semi conscious the next day, you might think, nope, nope, I need to get to bed by, you know, one or midnight or whatever. But, but when you're at yeah. home, it's, it's a really, yeah, it's really easy to fall into that trap, I think.
1: Yeah, there there's big aspects of like you need to go you need to be well rested, you need to look like uh you have been <laughs> you've had sleep and you've groomed, you know, and like if you've got an alarm clock set and you need to be at work by a certain time, like that does matter a lot for um you know, your schedule and uh like yeah, you know, I cannot afford to work until three AM tonight, that kind of thing. It make a big difference.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um but 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 otherwise, yeah, it's it's, it's yeah, I, I I like it. I absolutely wouldn't look back. I I, I think it was it was the right step at the right time If it, it felt like you know I, I think a lot i think a lot of people would feel that probably um those that maybe sort of a similar sort of age to me as well they would um you know if they're, they're kind of sat there thinking you know maybe i do actually need to, to kind of like this does interest me i do want to do this full time then then yeah seriously look into doing it, it it's hard work but it, it's rewarding in a lot of ways as well
2: yeah definitely uh i had a question about um phaser so when you first started it um it's, it's based on pixie js now um was it when you first started the project or is that something that came later
0: right yeah so it's evolved quite a lot actually so uh the very original version was uh, built in typescript actually um it was uh it was put together like over the space of like a, a weekend um Bob well, my uh, family were away somewhere and I just kinda sat down and I was just like, right, no, like I need this, I need it done and I just sat down and I pretty much converted Flixel, which was like a uh, um, a flash ActionScript three library at the time, um, pretty much line for line, um into uh into TypeScript. And that was you know, so we're talking like like years ago now. Um and I did it and it rendered stuff and it worked. I was like, bloody hell! So I, I like shoved it on GitHub and released it, and <laughs> and people started using it. And I was just like, bloody hell! <laughs> I was, like, it was just just genuine <laughs> shock at seeing people like say, oh look, I made this game. And I was like, wow, that's actually a really good game. Um, and you know, and and from that, that was that was instantly the kind of like the seed of it. So it carried on like that for a while. Um, but then, um, Matt did like a fantastic work on PixiJS and. And I was thinking, no, th- this is really sensible. And actually, it kind of... it To be honest, it was all Microsoft's fault, right? Because they, they were just ramping up to release TypeScript 1.0. And they released the most... Buggiest, terriblest I'll try not to swear too much compiler you have ever seen and it was causing (laughs) me so much grief and angst and you can still see my like flaming rants all through the TypeScript forms if you go back far enough that I just couldn't work, I couldn't get my work done, I couldn't update Phaser Um, and it made me think right this is ridiculous I am ditching TypeScript, I'm going back to JavaScript Um, and in the process of doing that I thought right well if I'm doing that then I can just use Pixie.js which had literally kind of just been released as well um, and it you know was gaining sort of momentum, so I was like, fine. So it was yeah, you know, two birds, one stone kind of deal. So I completely ditched the TypeScript codebase entirely, um, built the whole thing from scratch in JavaScript on top of Pixie.js, um uh, and yeah, and, and didn't look back. It was it was the best move I ever made. So thank you, Microsoft, for your terrible compiler, and that, <laughs> which incidentally is actually really great. Now they have finally fixed it all. It it works beautifully. But that was a horrible transition period. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, so it's good. Um, but at the moment we're we're very very busy um, working on phase of three, which is using our own renderer. So
2: and Ooh. so, what's the why why your own renderer? A
0: um, couple of reasons actually. It was the 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 kind of I guess the main one is that the there are a lot. Basically, basically Pixie is a, a fantastic renderer, but it it's just a renderer. Yeah, so it it, it tries very hard to be. Um, it tries very hard to basically provide every sort of rendering thing that you might need in terms of like okay, well it would do graphics in a certain way um primitive rendering, shaders, things like that. It's but we were actually finding that we needed a game specific renderer. Um, so we needed things. We needed like you know a camera system built in so we could kind of do you know, a split screen game or camera within camera or a rotated camera with objects coloured off the side and and have it all handled in the rendering process and not be, um, you know, not have to basically kind of do that r end, and then sort of, we were basically, we were getting to the point where we were just having to hack it around and around and we didn't like that. It was a, it was a kind of a feeling us know we're we're starting to kind of abuse what it can do not not work on what it can do um and so i I knew for well that um you know we had the time and I also really really wanted to make phaser um modular and basically take advantage of what's going on with like system j. s these days so and all the features that e. s six are dropping in um and I knew basically for well that in order to do that this was a big refactoring and and I thought, right, well if we're going to do that anyway, then we might as well start investigating a renderer. So, um, yeah, So for the last three months, I've uh, a good friend of mine, Pete, has been basically tasked with the job of working on the the new renderer, and he's making fantastic strides with it at the moment. Um, it's all, all the code's public, you can kind of see all the growing pains that we're going through on the uh, Phaser 3 repo, and I keep posting sort of demos up every week, uh, sorry, every two weeks we post uh, like a development progress report up, so you can see exactly what we've been working on but it's 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 a lot of work but it's going to be well worth it it will allow us to do things that you know we specifically need for gaming um so yeah i'm, I'm very very pleased about where that's heading
2: that's cool so is it going to be kind of like the the same idea as pixie where it's got this webgl with a canvas fallback
0: yes yeah absolutely so yeah it's it's definitely webgl with canvas fallback but at the same time i'm not too scared about thinking um you know, Pixie's tried very hard to strive for complete parity between the two. Um, you know, in terms of like, display parity, but I'm, I'm really not that worried about this. I, I think WebGL is becoming more and more and more prolific, and you know, it, although you do, we still always will need to fall back to Canvas, so we will absolutely support Canvas. I'm really not too scared about having things in there and saying, you know, this is WebGL only actually. Um, and, you know, the performance benefits and the, you know, just the visual effects we can do um, and the quantity of visual effects we can do as a result is, is well worth it.
2: Oh, yeah, totally. I think it's an interesting point. I, I think that um, later on in my web development career, I definitely got to the point where, um, you know, you would want to take advantage of newer browsers and stuff. And so you kind of had to have this idea that nothing has to be completely the same across all platforms. It really just needs to work and you know, degrade the experience gracefully, such that you know, if you're in Internet Explorer eight, you get a functioning website, but it just doesn't look as pretty. And I think that same kind of you know thinking could be applied to games as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's it's probably a bit harder. It depends on which camp you're doesn't it? I guess if you're kind of like building games for yourself, or maybe even for portals, um, you can get away with targeting you know, more mainstream browsers, basically. But I think for a lot of client work, they really, even the ones that are still going, oh, we need this to work in IE9. And it's kind of like, okay, fine. Um But I, I think that the 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 key for me really is that um I, I'm no longer scared about basically saying that there is this really great new feature and it will be in Phaser, but it will only be available under WebGL. So you're going to have to target, you know, your game specifically if you want to take advantage of it um but it, i think i think it's more than that it's more than just the rendering it's the fact that there's a whole i i phaser 2 became very very big um you know there's there's a lot in it the the unminified source code is you know it's megabytes in size um and i i basically i was always aware that it was growing quite large and it it kind of takes sort of a god class approach where you kind of like you know got a couple of classes that do a lot rather than breaking things out and making it smaller and more modular Um, and I was aware that because of its size and because you know this is being deployed and you know there are millions and millions of people out there playing games running on phaser and I kind of want to you know not that wallop all of their bandwidth so it was time to basically think right okay how I was holding back. There are lots of features I want to add into Phaser 2 that I'm not doing and holding back because I know that they will increase the file size even more. So that was a key reasoning as well. Thinking right now, let's let's take this back. Um, you know, modules have advanced massively now. You know, they're now finally sort of standardized. So, you know, let's take advantage of that. Um, and when we kind of approach how we're going to restructure it for the new version,
1: very cool. Very cool. So I, I do my best to follow Phaser, but I admit to being overwhelmed with by all the cool things happening in the world. Um, but I thought I saw recently um, you took some strides towards like you had a book out there and it was a premium offering, or am I getting that wrong? What What are your current plans around there?
0: Yeah, so I've been. Um, yeah, so I was actually just before Christmas. So I I sat down and um, I just thought, right, fine. I I you know I'd, I'd just come off the tail end of a big project. I had a little bit of time spare. I thought, right, I'm going to actually just sit down and write a book. And I thought, well, let's make it not, you know, if, if you sit down and tend to, you know, write the Bible about Phaser, you'll never get it done, basically. So I <laughs> thought, let's focus on something very specific, very new, and it, it just launched with a, a brand new scale manager, which is the way in which it handles, kind of like, you know, orientating and scaling across devices. and um, And I thought, right, let's just write something completely targeting that and how to use it Um, and so I did so I sat down and I just like typed and (laughs) and kind of got it all out and edited Mm. up and made some examples and I thought this is not bad actually Um, and so I thought fine so I'll stick it on leanpub.com which is like a um, they basically they can kind of like take your markdown files and produce these really nice looking pdfs and then handle all of the sort of sales side of it as well and I thought i'll make the book basically i make it optional so to pay for it so i'll make it free if you want it for free and but if you want to you know throw a few dollars my way then feel free um and amazingly people have and it's it's selling like well (laughs) like hotcakes quite frankly um you know shifting kind of like a couple of thousand copies now so and then i thought right well let's follow that up so i wrote another one on how to handle tweens um and because it included lots and lots of example code i kind of put a it was a quite low price on it but i put a minimum price on it and that one's doing well um and so this i'm just going to carry on doing that so i've got one which is very nearly done on basically the internal so like how does phaser work internally what does the core game loop do how does the state manager handle changing state? All, all that kind of stuff that you would never really know unless you actually sat down and worked your way through all the source code which you know some people have but most people don't have time for um and it, it was kind of like the top requested book because i kind of run a poll on the forum saying what do people want to know about and and everyone's just like what's going on inside <laughs> and i was just like fine, <laughs> okay yep that's the next one so i'm very nearly done on that um and once I'm finished with that, I'm gonna. We're doing a um, a phase book of games, which is our oh, back in kind of like the '80s when you know, like home computers, and you basically when you could buy like a, a magazine or whatever, and you would type out a game from within, you know, that was printed yeah. on the pages. Yeah. So I kind of thought <laughs> that's right, awesome. Well, let's, let's kind of take it back to that, well, obviously without having forcing people to do that. Um, but but take it back to the whole point where you would kind of like buy one book and you'd have like you know maybe 10 20 different games in it um, and so I thought fine I, I you know I think that actually makes that has a lot of kind of like value today because people really like to see how different style of games are made and and it doesn't matter if they're like some of them could be basic you know they can really benefit from a basic basic looking game um, that just has a core mechanic that they can then take and think, oh I can build on that um, and then, you know, so basically so that's the next one, so we're going to do, we're going to be releasing game books which will be a compiled you know, so detailed, explained what the game is doing and how the code was written, but fundamentally it's just kind of like a bunch of games in one and so we've got a sort of series of those planned um, so I'm kind of really looking forward to those because I think there's something that hasn't been Seen in terms of, I mean, you know, you don't, you can't really go out and buy published books which are nothing but lists of games anymore. Um, so (laughs) I thought, you know, no, it it works, it works with phases. So, because it's, you know, it's web based, it's, um, so just try it and see what happens.
2: That's really cool. Um, so you, you mentioned earlier that you're not doing the licensing stuff anymore. Uh, are you still doing a decent amount of contracts?
0: Yeah, so we, 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 yeah, we, we basically, we still do client work. Um, and we have. And and last year, yeah, I did a, a phenomenal amount of, of, of games and, and and apps as well. So I I don't mean like native apps, I mean kind of sort of more like um, you know, browser based apps, kinda of like we did like a, a painting package for the BBC Children's Channel, for example, that they can reskin and deploy across all of their various T V shows. And again it's all done in Phaser. Um so it's, and everything I mean literally everything we build is, is done in phaser. So um so yeah, we we definitely are still doing that. But this year is um I'm still carrying on doing that but on a much honed down scale. Um so I, I, it really is the next kind of like three or four months we really are just focusing on building out Phaser 3, getting the new site launched, um, and getting some books finished. And and my my plan is you you need that kind of like, if I can get enough sort of sustained, um, you know, residual income, as it were, from books and tutorials and game packs and stuff, then that will give me the confidence I need to think, okay, I don't have to take on as much client work. Um, So that's the thought process, really.
2: Yeah, I'm really interested in you know, basically monetizing an open source project. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to kind of go about it. The book thing sounds really uh, interesting and, and sounds like it's worked out well for you so far. Um, do you do anything or have you considered anything like uh, Patreon or like Git tip or anything like that?
0: Yeah. So I have a tip account, which is kind of like, I think it's probably only up to about, um, Thirty dollars a week at the moment, but it's you know it's it's nice. Every little bit helps, um, and I I really do, I mean the sort of money that comes in that on a monthly basis or whatever, I do kind of feed back into time spent on doing uh, phaser examples and blog posts and stuff. So so yeah, I, I think Patreon. I'm not. I don't know. I I see a lot of. Uh, I don't know. I I don't think I'm. I I see that as being very almost... How can I put it? You need to be a bit more of a celebrity. I'm not really particularly... I think you need to (laughs) be in order to have a big impact on that, Um, which I don't feel like I... Qualify for that status, so I'll probably avoid that one for now. Um,
1: I can understand where you're coming from. I, I've seen some, uh, you know, creators of various types of medium uh, that are basically a lot bigger than we are, and I see that they make you know amounts of money that I would think would be you know smaller than you expected. So it's like you can kind of estimate, and uh, we've seen like you know we've actually considered Lost Cast for Patreon, and like we just estimate that it would take you know x number of hours to work on, and it would produce x number of dollars just based on. You know, looking around at investigation and research and stuff. And yeah, I, I tend to agree. You kind of need to have that kind of critical mass uh, of users and backers and supporters to uh, get it to be worth the time it takes to spend on it even.
0: Yeah, and it's it feels to me like it's a different sort of endeavor. It almost feels like you're... Um uh, you're putting money towards almost like a creative output, aren't you? It's like, you know, I would like this person to be putting out kind of like, you know, high quality artwork or bits of music or games or whatever. Right. Um, whereas a lot of developers, I, I think when, you know, when they go to open their wallets is because they want to pay for something that's saving them time and therefore saving them money. Yeah, I think a lot of developers wouldn't think twice about, you know, dropping maybe twenty dollars or something on a, a plug that would give them like a really nice, good, solid match three game engine because actually that's just saved them kinda of like, you know, a good few days worth of development and bug testing. Um they they see perceived value in what they're buying in terms of, you know, knowledge acquisition. Whereas um I, I do you know, in terms of purely funding something for the, the love of phaser, as it were, I think that's probably a bit of a harder sell.
2: I think you're absolutely right there. I mean, you know, a lot of people that are doing well on Patreon are gonna be people that are like uh, appealing to the consumer directly, yeah. And uh, you're right with the developers. I mean, look at like the Unity Asset Store and and how big of a market there is for developers selling code and assets to other developers.
0: Absolutely, you, you can yeah, you can know absolutely with a shadow of a doubt make a good living off selling code to coders. So, so you yeah, need the I mean, Phaser I mean, App Store.
2: <laughs> 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 yep, I guess. What so. you're building towards. <laughs> and then then you take a you know apple sized chunk of each transaction. <laughs> you got to wet your beak a little bit. You know, right. little, your little logo guy, your, your mascot, he's got to wet his beak. I find it really interesting. I want to talk about the, the contracts versus licensing thing again, uh, just because it's a question that we get asked a lot, you know, how to monetize games, and, and we don't really have such a great answer for it. But, you know, some of the things that, that go through my mind when talking about contracts versus licensing is that with the licensing model, you get to kind of work on your own first-party titles, and you can license them to you know as many people as you can possibly find, and uh, you know, and, and maybe do deals like rev share, whatever. So it seems like the ceiling could be higher, um, and you get to work on kind of your own creative ideas with the licensing model. Um, yet, for us, we found that we ended up making the bulk of our money through through contracts as well. Um, and I found that really interesting. That even though it seems like there could be this higher ceiling with the licensing model, it didn't ever really turn out that way.
0: Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I think, I think people that make um, you know a good living from licensing games do it on almost like a you know without sort of denigrating what they do on a convey belt quality. So um, you know you need to almost have that mentality. I think, I think people that actually sort of sit down and 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 want to craft something, I want to put a lot of love and care and attention into it um, are probably the wrong sort of people to be making licensed games to be honest um, I, I if, if you can if they can afford to do it, if it's if licensing to them is just like a hobby and it's just like a you know a bit of pizza and bit money or something then then that's absolutely fine you know they could probably do quite well out of it but if it's something that they actually want to make a living from then unfortunately I think the reality of that's very different um, client work is almost the flip side isn't it it's, it's like you lose pretty much all creative control you maybe have to you know get a, put some input into the game and and you know, you've obviously controlled sort of like the quality of the end result but ultimately you're building it to someone else's um you know, wins as it were. Um, but you trade that for a, I, I would say, traditionally a much larger payment, um, but a, a one off one that there's no, you know, I, I guess with a, a licensed game or even like a, a native release into an app store, it, it comes with some kind of like lottery ticket attached to it, doesn't it? Because you never really know what you've made. Um, you know, did you just release the game with a Flappy Bird lottery ticket? Who knows? Um, right. Whereas <laughs> with client work, you will never, you know, you never have that opportunity. Right, That's true. yeah.
2: Um, I think that there's so much overhead with the licensing model, too, like you're talking about earlier, like following up, and you know you spend so much time on the back and forth and stuff like that that it, it makes it really hard. Um that was kind of the reason that we we got out of the the licensing game is kind of what you mentioned is that the conveyor belt style and and again, obviously not to uh, degrade those those kinds of um businesses, but it is really a business decision, right? Like you have to decide do i want to pump out lots of games and spread them out to as many portals as possible and and to be efficient at that you really need to be doing smaller work right? yeah
0: yeah yeah absolutely um and and i guess it's kind of it's sort of critical mass as well isn't it i think people that do generate a lot of games generate better ones the more the more they go on don't they so you know it's it's not that people that do sort of pump out lots of games about bad ones. I don't. That's that's not true. I think it's more that they have to do it with a set mind, thinking, right, look, I'm going to spend absolutely no more than five days on this game, um, because I know, because you know, the amount of potential income from license deals is 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 pretty much it is quite capped. I think. I think realistically, right. there are only so many um, takers for it. And and although that fluctuates, and although you know, sometimes a whale will come along and say, oh yeah, I want all of your games. Please a license for every game. Um, that's not the norm and you have to kind of like surely if you want to do it as a business you plan for the norm not the you know the exceptions so um yeah i think if if you're the sort of person that sits there sort of tweaking the tweens or the palettes or whatever for like if you start there at three <laughs> in the morning oh no that tween just needs a little bit more you're probably the wrong person for doing licensed games i think
2: uh um, that's so that's <laughs> totally <probably> me every <laughs> day <laughs> basically every day you spend uh on the game above what you should it's like Costs you a license or so, or half a license, probably. Yeah, yeah
0: absolutely. That's exactly what it does. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, th- that's, that's different. It's you know p- different developers, different mindsets, um, and some developers do fantastically from from following you know sticking to their guns and thinking right. No, nope, I'm going to do a game. I've done it. I've made it. I've sold it. <laughs> and I'm just like, wow. <laughs> Hats off to you because I can't do that. I'm terrible at that.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were kind of the same way. Uh, one more follow up question. Um, is there kind of a place that people can go these days to to put their games up? I mean, back when we were doing it, there was a little bit of Market.js and a little bit of uh, FGL. And, uh, I, I you know, we kind of dropped out of the scene, so I don't know, like, what's the best approach to getting your game into the hands of licensors these days?
0: Yeah, so basically, um, FGL is still definitely very prominent. I would, they, In fact, they've been, like, really ramping up the HTML5 side of things. So um, definitely get your game on there because... They have like a you know they have new portals signing up to the site that you would never have, never have even heard of that might be interested in your game. So definitely do that. Um, subscribe to um, like the Booster Media newsletter and mailing list and read because they they I mean they, they I think they've only just pushed out the first issue like a couple, week or two ago. But they were saying like you know we specifically need these sorts of games. Um, you know I, I was I think it was sports games and card games or something. But you know they they, they have a they were actually saying that make these um, and. As someone that's creating games for selling to licensees, that's really important to know. Um, also, get on the um, HTML5 Game Devs forum. So, um, because once you've made a few posts and proved you're not a spam bot or whatever, you get access to the sponsors board. Um, and although the content of that hasn't changed dramatically, there are there are still a lot of contact details in there and a lot of companies that actively buy games. Um, so, so get in there and start hawking your wares out. I, I guess just. Be aware that um you're not the only one. You know, there are lots of other people doing it now. Um there are lots of other companies that are coming in and taking um maybe sort of pre existing IPs and porting them over, you know, really nice, highly polished graphics. I, I would say that unfortunately if your graphics suck, don't even bother. Um you you're you can you can get away with a basic game if it looks fantastic you'll never get away with even the most amazing game if it looks terrible um that's just basically the the fact of the licensee marketplace I'm afraid um and also don't think just licenses there are lots of other ways to make little bits of income from games um like um invato basically yeah, so you know there are lots of games on there that you can go and so basically put together like a source code package that make it really nice and easy for buyers to configure the game and sort of shove their own graphics in and sell it up there as like a game template Um, you know lots of people do and make money from it and so don't limit yourself to just that and also you know if you can package it up as an app get it on I don't know Amazon store and you know maybe someone might buy it Uh, you know just basically put it out there there are lots and lots of different avenues (laughs) and revenues but but keep an eye on it yeah don't don't sort of I know I think doing all of that stuff as well takes time um, and obviously, time is unfortunately yeah. money. So keep an eye on what works, and what doesn't for you. It's That's funny the, that that
1: last bit uh, you actually mentioned on uh, Lost Cast episode nine. <laughs> you were saying that you know if you're going to make a game, you might as well put it you know on the on the places like
2: App Store and whatnot because if you don't, someone else will yeah, right
1: absolutely. steal
2: it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like your follow up though because we kind of found you know the tax involved with kind of buying into the the really like cross-platform dream of, of taking your game everywhere we kind of thought you know oh we're going to make these games and we're going to put them everywhere you know and we'll have a trickle of income from all these different sources um, and it was really tough to kind of make that work you know um, because on any given platform without the viral aspect of being popular on whatever platform you're on you're pretty much going to make almost nothing <laughs> yes yeah yeah absolutely okay, so pennies so, times pennies is still just pennies <laughs>
0: <laughs> absolutely but I, I think that's that's when you're looking at it from the you know the mentality that you know i fall into where you've probably you know i got what three or four games in your library if you've got 30 or 40 or you know you're ramping them out on kind of like a weekly bi-weekly basis and then you're cross-promoting them it's it's kind of like it's it's again, it's critical mass, and it's the knock-on effect. of, oh, one of these is doing really well, and it's helping to promote my other games that are also now doing a bit better. And it, it's it's things like that, isn't it? So it's like if you're in the licensee mindset of creating a lot of content and doing it fast and you know doing it well, then getting it in lots of places helps because you're kind of almost promoting your own work elsewhere. But if you only have a handful of games and you do take a while to create new ones because that's the kind of developing while then it. Yeah, it's it's you it probably it's not worth it almost, is it? Um, yeah.
2: No, and I think it's really interesting and in, in how it kind of um, goes along with how you have to design your game for the market you want to monetize. Um, like free to play, you know, the, the standard wisdom is that uh, you get like one to three percent of people um, doing in app transactions or you know upgrading their their free version to the premium version uh, within like in app transactions kind of model. And you have to design your game with that in mind, right? Like, you're supposed to design your game to appeal to the whales or the people that are going to spend a whole bunch of money in your game, the 1% to 3% that's going to subsidize the rest of your players, which is a completely different way to design games than, you know, if you're trying to extract 10 to $15 from every one of your players.
0: Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, I, I really have, like, very little experience with any of the free to play stuff. It's just, I don't know, it's just one of those sectors that's just felt like. Tainted to me of some kind of like, <laughs> yeah. like I don't want to go near it, like it will like sap on my manor and I'll die horribly or something. So <laughs> I just like, <laughs> but you know, I know that you know people do and do approach it, but um, yeah. and there are lots of companies out there, aren't there, that will provide services and APIs that make life easier for you, but I, it to me, it kind of feels like the whole kind of if you were to like build an MMO, you know, it's kind of like a common developer joke, isn't it? Oh, I want to make my own world of Warcraft. Or it's just like, you know, you laugh at them because they're a noob. But I actually think that free to play is almost similar kind of mentality. If you haven't approached it Uh, right from the very beginning like that, it's the same kind of flaw.
2: I I absolutely agree. Yeah, we don't do the free to play stuff either, but I think it was just kind of speaking to how how much, you know, monetization is important when you're thinking about how you design your games and what kind of games to design. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, not all the different models work <laughs> depending on how you design it and create games.
0: No, quite. Um, and it's just changing, isn't it? I mean, like, I noticed that the, like, the new 3DS browser now runs like HTML5 games really quite nicely. And it's just like, you would never have considered that before. I, you probably wouldn't have considered that like a week ago, to be for honest. It was literally only came out, you know, it was only fanned out a couple of days ago that it runs them really well. And so you suddenly start thinking, oh, actually, is there some kind of, you know, is there something here um, being able to sort of access, um, you know, 3DS controls from a, a web-based game is actually something really quite nice, and and uh, you know, I, so I think little things like this do keep popping up. Um, you know, I know Samsung TVs as well. I mean, they're kind of like going a bit crazy in terms of adoption, and they run Halo Five games beautifully. I mean, all of their like SDK examples are all done in Phaser, and it's just kind of like, wow, okay. So you know, I, I think there are these sort of markets out there, and but. Yeah, it's just like anything, is it? It's, it's hard work, and you have to know what you're going into. Um, but also, I would just add to that that the more games you do make, um, the more chance you have of being approached potentially by a you know a client saying, "Oh, this game would work really well for our campaign. Could we license it from you, or re- you know, could you rebrand it for us or something?" So definitely consider that as well.
1: So Rich, you've got a lot of awesome stuff going on and I'm going to include uh, links to all this good stuff in the show notes. I'm wondering if there's anything specific you wanted to shout out about or anything you wanted to plug?
0: Um I would just say keep a um we're just about to release Phaser 2.3 which has got some really cool new stuff in it so keep an eye on the Phaser GitHub repo um also I just started um the Phaser coding tips which is basically a weekly um it's a mailing this but I also put it up on the blog if you don't like your inbox filling up um and it's basically I take a it, the, the whole concept was, you know, what kind of game could you build in a lunch break? Um, it's going to be something quite small, quite snappy that you can just sit down and think, oh yeah, I could crank that out in an hour while eating a sandwich. So um, it's it's all <laughs> focused around that. Not huge, long, rambling things. It's it's like, right, no, how are we going to do a you know really nice, smooth Pac-Man control this week, or how do we do like cloud platforms from a Mario game? So I'm um, doing those on a weekly basis. Um, they're completely free, so uh, you can subscribe to those on the on the website.
1: Oh that sounds really cool. I like that uh bite-sized nature of it. Um well this was a uh, really awesome talk. Thanks you thank you so much for uh taking time out of your day and for talking to us.
0: Yeah, no, thank you very much and congratulations with, <laughs> with your success with your games as well. I mean, I know it kind of you kind of like laugh when I say that, but you have kind of come a long way since we last spoke. Oh, we
1: both have. I, I think that, uh, you know, three years ago, we were both kind of at these points where we really wanted to, like We neither of us, like we talked about earlier, uh, we were still kind of uh, corporate and we really wanted to go independent. And so our futures were like... Uh, <laughs> you know <laughs> unstable and uh, and scary and uh, and we're still alive and i think that that's uh, that's worth celebrating so uh round of applause for everyone backpacking yep. you know uh,
2: good <laughs> yeah, job we, all around we tend to be self-deprecating but so we're really proud of ourselves and where we are and um, we're always just kind of looking towards the next mountain <laughs> <So>. <laughs> exactly yeah and uh, we're proud of you rich and we're very impressed as well and uh
1: good luck to uh, your projects and we're looking forward to seeing uh what you're working on next
0: cool thank you very much guys
2: So, uh, Thanks for listening and uh, don't forget to tell a friend about Lostcast. Check us out on the forums Uh Last episode we interviewed Rich. Uh, you were played out by a Sonic the Hedgehog remix by Joshua Morse
1: called Marble Dash and this time we're going to play you out with another Sonic remix. This one called 50
2: Rings to Ride. Ship it. <laughs>